us on Facebook Live if you can, because it's Friday and it's marshy movie time. Hello, James. How's it hanging? Just fine. Thank you very much. Totally good. Thank you very much. Right. Yeah. Why am I doing that? Oh, Apart you for... want to talk about Bruce Lee, don't you? <laughs> yes. Uh... Happy birthday, dear Brucey. Yes, he would have been 80 this week. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, various institutions are organising various things. I don't know. I mean, what, what else is there left to say about Bruce Lee, really, that hasn't been said already? He... We talked a lot about him last year because of uh, the controversy surrounding uh, Quentin Tarantino's version of him that appeared in mm. time in Hollywood. And that just started a dialogue that just... Do me, just down. do me a favour and don't kill me. Mm -hmm. Move a bit closer. I don't want to kiss you or anything, but we need to hear your dulcets a bit more. There you go. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. better. Well done. Yeah. Anyway, I think um, in times of trouble, and goodness knows Hong Kong's had a few, people here want a, an icon and a hero, and I think Bruce Lee is it. Mm. Well, there are, yeah, there are a few alternatives, it has to be said. Certainly in the Thin film ice industry boy. right now. You know, yeah. Um, it would be. It would, you know, everybody sort of continually speculates on where his career might have gone had he continued. Indeed. He was just about to break into America successfully this time. You know, he had been over there in the past before, working in television and what have you, in training uh, other actors. You know, famously he trained the likes of uh, Steve McQueen and people like that, but. He died, what, the week before um, Enter the Dragon opened, which was this big co-production with Warner Brothers, you know, mm. half of it's in English, and that was, like, his big debut, really. And I think his other films, Big Boss and uh, what have you, were, were released in the US after that, and one can only speculate on where his career might have gone. Indeed. Um, it would have been fascinating to see, you know, if he had still been working. If, you know, had he lived this long, mm -hmm. uh, whether he had come back into the fold now, whether he'd gone up into China and worked up in the mainland like so many of uh, today's local stars, or whether he had uh, he would have stayed in the US, one can only speculate. Has anybody ever done a, a what if about Bruce Lee, to your knowledge? I don't know that they have. I mean, a lot of them. There's a, there are a lot of films and uh, stories that um, look into his origins and his, his youth and try to, uh, what's the word, make, mythologize his, uh, his youth and his, you know, his, his ascendancy. Yeah. You, like. um, you know, as recently as Ip Man 4, we saw oh, last yeah. year, and there have been sort of American versions of that story and there's TV very recent sort of TV series based on his life. Uh, so everyone wants to try and get a, a piece of the action, if you like, but because there, there are only, what, 32-odd years to work with, um, it kind of, uh, you know, there's only so much you can do, really. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, just one other thing to mention, just last year, also a big, actually, you know, early, early, earlier this year, a, a big sort of beautifully remastered very comprehensive box set of all his sort of classic martial arts films mm. was released in the US by the Criterion Collection, oh, yeah. um, which I'm sure will be on a lot of people's Christmas list. I've got a question for you. Technically, when you look at these movies, 
Um, were mm. they kind of bodged or were they cinematically really good? Well, they were showing some potential, um, for sure. I mean, because he came up in Golden Harvest working with very sort of experienced filmmakers. And I mean, one of the most interesting things is that he had started to branch into filmmaking himself. Hmm. You know, Way, Way of the Dragon, he actually directed it as well as, uh, as starred in it. And with that... I can't hear you, James. You've gone silent, mate. I'm really sorry. <laughs> You've completely lost us. Let me just invite people to join us on Face. Have a fiddle, if you would. Do whatever it takes. Otherwise, we'll come back in a bit. Uh, but you're silent. Absolutely, you've gone. Uh, do join us on Facebook Live, if you want to, and join in with the convo. Uh, Steve Hackman just says, should name the airport Bruce Lee International Airport. I think a lot of people have said that over the years. I think that's what I mean about wanting an icon and a, and a hero. And, a, you know, if you could think of a better one, do tell me are you there no i've absolutely lost you you've gone completely and utterly there you go the plug's coming out we can see you okay right said fred have to take the door off if you want to uh, transfer to your earbuds go for it even if it sounds like we're talking on a palatoy telephone he is there. Join us on Facebook Live uh, and at least tell it. Well, it's Bruce Lee's birthday. He would have been 80 years old today, he said, filling for England. Are you there now? I, I have Yay! never left, and I've been Bru listening to you the entire time. Oh, you can hear me, I don't know all right. what's going on. That's all right. Just all stay, stay close on. to your mic and caress it and cuddle it, and then we'll hear all your pearls of wisdom. That's beautiful. Okay, and I'll just try and talk a little more dulcetly. <laughs> Brilliant. I feel like I'm doing sort of late night truckers radio or something. Yeah, you look like it too. Hello. Yeah. All right then. It was definitely had to mention that one. Eighty years old today, he would have been. What do you want to get into? Okay. Well, um, it's a bit of a difficult week. Uh, there isn't a great deal out in the cinemas. There are a few options on some of the streaming services as well. There's a couple of reissues worth talking about. I want to very quickly. Uh, doff my cap to uh, Daria Nicolodi, who passed away uh, just yesterday. She, if you are familiar with sort of, uh, Italian horror movies, Giallo, Dario Argento's films in particular of the 70s and 80s, then she is a very familiar face. Uh, she was a long time uh, romantically involved with Dario Argento as well. Yeah. Uh, but she appears in uh, Deep Red, Inferno, uh, Phenomena. Uh, opera films like that. She co-wrote Suspiria, which is one of the great iconic. Films which you of come that back period. to every time you can, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, and also it was remade a couple of years ago and was my favourite film of of that year, back in uh, was it twenty seventeen or eighteen? Uh, and she is the mother of Asia Argento, Asia Argento, I believe is how she pronounces her name. Yeah, who is a uh, an actress of uh, of some note around these parts. So just wanted to. Um, acknowledge the, the passing of a uh, a one-time screen siren mm. uh we also will be talking about uh well we can do it right now yeah go for sophia it five minutes before loren. the news sophia loren another absolute legend of italian cinema yeah. has a new movie out. Yeah. uh she is 86 years old and uh this is a film called the life ahead it's an italian movie which is on Netflix right now, uh, directed by her son, Eduardo Ponti, uh, in which she plays Madame Rosa, who is a former prostitute and Holocaust survivor uh, living in Italy, uh, who now 
sort of obviously is in very advanced years and she now sort of looks after the, the sort of neglected and discarded children of prostitutes and so she's got sort of a little brood of, of foster children that she cares for and she is asked to take in another young lad mm. called Momo who is a Senegalese Muslim street kid uh, whose mother was a prostitute as well and now he's been um, you know living by disreputable means on the street, uh, dealing drugs, snatching bags. In the opening scene, we actually see him snatch Madame Rose's bag, only uh. for them to be thrown together. And so it's a kind of sort of mismatched uh, couple dynamic. You know, he, she very begrudgingly takes him in. He doesn't want to be there. She doesn't want him there. And uh, they butt heads a number of times. But over time, they grow closer. Uh, she is not only very old, but she is suffering increasingly from sort of some form of dementia, flashbacks to the Holocaust. Uh, there are just periods of time where she goes almost catatonic. Uh, meanwhile, he is getting in with a bad crowd of sort of drug dealers and what have you on the streets, and things are going to collide and come to a rather sticky head. Mm. Um, the, f the film itself is fairly uh, pedestrian. You know, you kind of, you've seen this kind of thing many times the locations are quite spectacularly shot um but the you know you could probably sketch out very quickly where you think this film is going and you will not be far wrong however what makes it of note is not least uh sophia loren's involvement but also just the performances i mean she is great considering she's 86 she hasn't made a film for i don't think it's quite a decade but i think she kind of came out of retirement about 10 years ago She's done one or two other things with her son in recent years. But, you know, to, to have a lead role at her age and to be so uh, engaging, you know, remain so, such a sort of magnetic screen presence is worthy of note. And there has been some rumblings in this year, particularly, that she might get some kind of awards, acknowledgement, sure. recognition come the end of the year, uh, just because it's going to be a weird year come award season anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, got a. Give a shout out to Ibrahima Guerra, who is the sort of, I, think, I guess he's about 12 years old. The street, the guy, the young actor who plays Momo, the street kid. Sure. It's a brilliant performance from him. I wouldn't be too surprised if, you know, should he wish to continue in acting, he will do very well for himself. So that's on Netflix. It's called The Life of Life Ahead. It is, you know, it's worth a look because Sophia Loren is still alive and very much kicking. Um, However, it's it's not a remarkable piece of work, but it's a competently put together film. Yeah. At least with Netflix and the like, you don't get into this realms of best foreign fest, blah, 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 because they all are pretty much. And then they, Netflix have done one thing. They've gotten us used to subtitles. And that's a great thing. Yeah, I, I think it's it's giving you that um, a sort of tap, that feed into your home that if you are even, you know, if you are a family that is risk averse averse to like foreign language films generally they are right there in front of you absolutely and they produce a lot of, of them you know that's part of the appeal of netflix is to pull in a, a global audience by providing uh tailored content for every audience well a lot of this stuff it, dubbing has come on a long 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 way since the old days we we're talking about bruce lee movies before dubbing is now seriously yeah. state-of-the-art and you know you you'd be forgiven for not even knowing it's been dubbed um would you rather that or subtitles? Subtitles, definitely. Gotcha, yeah. Because I think it detracts so much from the performance. 
when you got it, you got it dubbed in another language. Um, oh, you know, that done brilliantly. That a certain... Sure, sure. I mean, but you can go back. I mean, we're talking about Italian cinema. Italian film was made for a long time, much like Hong Kong cinema was made, where all the sound was post-synced mm. later. And uh, that was one of the great sort of unique things about Italian cinema in like the 60s, 70s, is that they could bring in these uh, foreign stars from Hollywood, from the rest of Europe, whatever. And it didn't matter what language they were speaking at the time. So yeah. That's how Clint Eastwood made his career, right? All right, James. And we've got to put the pause button on for just a minute or two because it's very nearly news time. What's coming up afterwards? Okay, well, we have Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, we have Happiest Season and uh, a reissue of Emma. Which channel is Hillbilly on? That's Netflix as well. Is it? Because oh, usually that kind of stuff goes on the History Channel. But I suppose that's another topic, isn't it? We'll be, <laughs> back, we'll be back in just a little while if you want to join us. Facebook Live, it's still on and all that. R-T-H-K, Radio 3. Right, where were we? I've kept you in okay, a state well, of perfection. <laughs> yeah. What do you want to do yeah, now? Yeah, you have. What do you want uh, to do? Let's, let's do... Okay, let's do something that's actually on in the cinemas right now. Good idea. Happiest Season, which is a, as the title might suggest, a festive rom-com uh, starring Kristen Stewart. All right. Uh, this is written and directed by Clea Duval, who's the daughter of Robert Duval and has done some acting herself. Uh, this is the story of Abby who has been invited by her girlfriend and live-in partner, Harper, yeah. to go and spend the Christmas holidays with her family, with Harper's family. Because Kristen Stewart um, ha- has no family of her own, and, you know, they're a couple, and so why not? Yeah. Uh, oh, halfway there, you know, they're on the, the drive to the family house. Halfway there, Harper drops the bombshell. Oh, by the way, my family doesn't know I'm gay, <laughs> and so you happen. just have to pretend to be to be my roommate and that's that's why uh abby is obviously rather upset about this but she turns up and is happy to meet uh victor garber and mary steenbergen who are harper's very sort of wealthy uptight um right, sort of right-wing uh conservative family he is running for local mayor uh everything has to be just so you know he has very high expectations for all his children uh, harper is Clearly his favourite. He has three daughters, however. He also has Sloane, played by Alison Brie, who mm-hmm. is married with two children, and she is seen as kind of like the super mom of the of the uh of the children. And Mary Holland's Jane, who seems I think she still lives at home. She's a bit she's the youngest one and is all but completely ignored. So there's there's this very sort of uh shall we say competitive family dynamic going on anyway. Harper, it becomes immediately clear, doesn't want to rock that boat, nor jeopardize her position as favorite daughter by dropping any kind of bombshell like this. Although Abby, Kristen Stewart's character, um, sees sees this change, sees Harper completely change into a different person no sooner has she arrived, and she very quickly becomes frustrated as she is sidelined just as this random friend who has come to stay. Mm. And not least when Harper's ex-boyfriend from high school shows up, invited by her parents without her knowledge. Um, there's also an ex an ex-girlfriend sort of loitering around, played by Aubrey Plaza. The only confidant that Abby has is her gay best friend, uh, who is played by uh, Dan Levy, called John, who is supposed to be at home looking after all the pets because Abby's job is uh, looking after other people's pets for them. Uh, However, 
he is just on the phone with her as her confidant, helping her go through all of this stuff. And inevitably, before the end of the film, he shows up as well. So, you know, this is obvious. As far as my understanding goes, Claire Duval, who wrote and directed this, is is gay herself. That would kind of make sense. And it's probably drawn, if not directly, then at least sort of spiritually from personal experience. Obviously, Kristen Stewart has recently come out uh, very publicly as bisexual, and you have seen her career take some very specific career choices in the couple of years since she came out to play gay characters or at least bisexual characters to push that into the forefront in order to normalize it. And she should be applauded for that. I don't know about Mackenzie Davis. However, she plays her girlfriend here. Surely, if if, if normalising was on the agenda, there'd be no pretending. But then you wouldn't have the film, and the, you wouldn't have the piece, would you? <laughs> well, what I mean is, uh, well, what I mean is, exa- is exa- you get exactly this kind of film, which is by and large just a by the numbers holiday rom com. You know, you've got you've yeah. got elements. It's it's just. Just you know, this. the partner my family didn't know about. I show up and I, yes, you know, you discover that she's been lying to her. She's been living a lie, lying, lying to her family. And you know exactly what's going to happen. They're going to have a falling out. And then there's going to be a big confrontation with the family at the end. And this is only different because the couple at the center of it are gay. Yeah. It's two, are two girls. And in every other respect, the film is con- very conventional, very by the numbers, very uh, generic, and is fine. You yeah. know, it's a yeah. it's a romantic comedy, so it's it's occasionally f- amusing. It's occasionally sweet natured. Uh, when things go badly, they go badly in ways you know they're going to go badly, and that mo- for the most part they're all going to be okay once ninety minutes is over. And I suppose you have to say it's to the film's credit that it manages to remain so ordinary, so conventional, uh, so by the book, whilst having this sort of same-sex sort of switch in in the centre of it. And you have to say, okay, well, job done then. Because yeah, clearly, the whole point of the film, the whole point of the film is to say, this is normal now. There is nothing strange about this. That's what I mean by normalising it. Yeah, I know. Is just by presenting characters like this in her work, Particularly, particularly this one, and going, it's just, it's just a variation on a thing, you know. It's just exactly the same. It's not even something like Get Out, which which starts almost with a very sort of similar kind of premise, but then obviously goes off the rails. See, see if it was not, I mean, normal to use that word in the eyes of Middle America, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. I mean, so it's serving its purpose. It's doing it really well. But basically, you want to be able to just say, this is on. Is it funny? Is it slick? Did I like it? And, you know, in the perfect world, skip around all of this conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's it. You know, is, is it any good? It's fine. Yeah, right. You know, that's it's, it. <laughs> it's, it's a perfectly functional holiday rom-com. It just so happens to be about two lesbians. Well, there you go. So, happiest yeah. season. Uh-huh. Yes, and that is playing in cinemas right now. Yeehaw. Good luck, um, Good luck with that one yeah. in the next few days. Let's see what happens. Fingers crossed, okay, of course. You say yeehaw. Well, let's go to uh, Hillbilly Elegy, <laughs> okay. which, is, uh, <laughs> which is now on Netflix and is Sydney already garnering a, lot, garnering a lot of chatter. Okay. Uh, it's directed by Ron Howard, adapted uh, from the memoir 
uh, of J.D. Vance. And so it's his, it's J.D. Vance's story. Uh, he is a uh, sort of law student at Yale. Uh, and he's just sort of in the midst of a sort of week long uh, interview process with some of the big firms when he gets a call from back home that his mum is in hospital because she has OD'd on heroin again. Okay. He has to go home to, I think it's Pittsburgh, but the family is originally from Kentucky. And essentially he has come from the most sort of hillbilly of hillbilly kind of families. And as he returns home, he reflects back on his entire life, on three generations of his family, growing up with his very young, troubled mother, Bev, played by Amy Adams, mm -hmm. who, has, who was great at school. She excelled at school. But then immediately after school, her, sort of, uh, her life fell apart and she you know, went ping pong from a, through a series of uh, relationships, substance abuse, domestic abuse, uh, which uh, she received from her own parents and that she rained down on her own children. Now, in particular, her mother, Mama, the, the grandmother of the family, played here by Glenn Close. Yep. Unrecognizable Glenn Close. I don't know how she did it, whether she's in a sort of fat suit or whether she put on some weight or what she's done, but she's, she's bigger, she's wrinklier. She's, she's hillbilly. Sort of tight, she's got this tight gray perm, massive thick glasses, these huge oversized T-shirts, and she's quite a formidable sort of domestic monster. Okay. And what you so what it is is this is just a portrait of sort of a a very poor working class family who ha undergo or have to endure and navigate all the sort of pitfalls that life throws at them and about JD's struggles to choose essentially between his family and getting out and making something of himself. Mm. So. I mean, the film has got a lot of controversy for being essentially kind of poverty porn, which you often see in uh, sort of Southeast Asian films or sort of films from sort of a third world community where it really goes out of its way to sort of exploit uh, the, the, the most sort of underprivileged corners of their society for entertainment. Well, not even for entertainment's sake, but for sort of art house prestige is sake. Uh, and this has been accused of doing that. This is almost like redneck exploitation, <laughs> oh, cool. uh, which which isn't isn't my word. That it, it, that's a term that already exists. And you have to kind of agree with them. I mean, Amy Adams, Glenn Close, these are exceptional performances. Gabriel Basso, who plays JD as a as a uh, teenager, uh, they are very strong performances. But the film feels like. Uh, J.D. Vance, the author of this work, is mm. kind of using... He's kind of exp is exploiting his own family. He's kind of saying, look how great I am because of how bad I had it. You know, you're almost he, he, being invited to look down on these people, uh, to consider anybody who got out as... But without that, we wouldn't have the movie, would we? Well, Poss possibly. you know, you've said that before. You've said that before today, but it's... Yes, of course, if, if he's not telling the story, then there is no story to tell. Mm -hmm. my, but my point is that in no, it's, in no way is the film trying to... or succeeding in saying, really, these are, these are sort of good people. Yeah. 
uh, everything's going to be okay. It paints a pretty sort of downbeat view of this part of the world. That sort of backs up what I said, though, James, because if everybody was lovely, it'd be like, yep, and it wouldn't be a film, would it? Sure, I mean, because there's an essence of it which is trying to say that, you know, we're all people too and that mm. we all have the, we all face the same problems, whatever. But there's a way of telling that story without really getting down and dirty. And what this film seems happy to do is go, look at these crazy hillbillies. Aren't I great? Aren't I great for getting out of it? So it's been getting some very scathing reviews. I don't think it quite deserves all of those. Um, I think the performances are quite good. And Ron Howard directed it, you know, who did... A Beautiful Mind and uh, Apollo 13 and, you know, a lot of films like that. Yeah, he he's a good director. Here, his his direction is fairly anonymous. But um, at no point do you feel, ah, oh, yes, this is America's heartland. You know, <laughs> these are the working... It, it doesn't really champion the working classes at any point, you know. It... It really does just kind of look down on them all the time and you have to kind of think, well, what what am I supposed to take away from this other than, phew, lucky you got out. What about when an author does that and they're, they're dealing with their own personal bete noirs from their youth or whatever? But what you don't really get is JD's own struggle, oh. you know? His... Or, or, or do, Sorry, James, or do you get it via all the stuff you've just been saying? That's what I mean. Well, his struggle seems to be solely, check out my family, they're terrible. That's, yeah. I'm great. I'm great. If <laughs> only I it. had better, yeah, if only I can escape from them, you know, they're such a burden on me. Uh, if only I could get out, get away from them, I'd be okay. Yeah. Throughout the story, he seems to be only the victim of circumstance. Okay. In no way responsible for doing anything bad himself. Uh, and so you, you, it's very difficult to have any real sympathy for him. Sort of it's a never his fault kind of thing. When you talk about people who, Absolutely who spend their life standing next to broken windows, it's always somebody else's fault. What a very poetic way of putting it. <laughs> what a beautiful image you've given me. Uh, so, so yes, so that's it. So, no, it has some good performances by the likes of Amy Adams and Glenn Close, who really are rednecking it up to the nines. Yep. Um, but the film has been so poorly received that I think oh. uh, I don't think they're going to benefit from that to, okay. from their efforts. Well, our, our informed listenership and viewership is going to eat this one up, I should imagine, because you said so. Well, I should. I want. Yeah, I think people should check it out. You know, I think Glenn Close in particular is enjoying a sort of a purple patch of late, uh, a late career resurgence. Amy Adams is always good, you know, in anything that she does. Yep. Uh, and it's quite uncanny how much she looks like the real character because, you know, the film ends with a montage of photographs yeah, yeah. and video, home video footage. Of what, and it's actually quite uncanny. Uh, you also have um, Hayley Bennett, who's a great up-and-coming actress, as the uh, the older sister, and Frida Pinto from uh, Slumdog Millionaire as JD's girlfriend at college. Yeah. You know, it all... Your mate's just gone off again. Your mate's just gone off again. Yeah, really. But I know, it's really good. We're enjoying this now. Can I just use the, Can I just use this instead? <laughs> no, they got the can. Stretch the string a bit longer, love. No, we can hear what you're saying. Go on. We're nearly done anyway. Where were you? Yeah. So I mean, it couldn't be more cliched that you've got Frida Pinto, who is a you know British Indian actress, yeah. playing his his girlfriend at college. 
who couldn't be more other, who couldn't be more removed from all of this. You know, talk about ha- having some somebody symbolise the the rest of the world. You know, a- any possible escape from the situation that he's in. Yeah. And it's it's quite it's so on the nose that you're just kind of like monk. Okay. All right. Well, three decent things to get into this week. Remind us what they were. Okay, so there was uh, The Life Ahead, which is this uh, Sophia Loren movie on Netflix. Also on Netflix, The Hillbilly Elegy, that we're talking about now. And there's also Happiest Season, which is in in cinemas. And the one thing I just wanted to talk about just for two seconds is just to also acknowledge that Emma, Autumn DeWilde's recent adaptation of the Jane Austen classic, is being reissued in cinemas this week. Probably just to piggyback on the success of The Queen's Gambit, which yeah. is the Netflix show that has now become like the most successful Netflix uh, limited series of all time uh, uh, because of its star, Anya Taylor-Joy. And Anya Taylor-Joy gives probably her best screen film performance in this uh, uh, this version of Emma from earlier this year. Right. So the local distributors are running it back out. Nice one, James. We'll do it all again at the same time next week. Join us at 12 and a bit for Marshy Movie Time next Friday. Thank you very much.